This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I reminisce about the closing of the year 2019 and talk about the celebration of the new year 2020. We do a My Favorite Monster segment on Pathfinder and Dungeons & Dragons classic monster, the Vargul, and answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. And we're back. Back in 2020. Oh, it feels good to be back, Griff. I, we took way too long off because we had to do stupid stuff like see our families. Be normal human beings. Open presents. Drink. Drink. Drink booze out of a plastic stocking. What? Everybody, everybody does it is on the a, holidays. Is that a Scrapple tradition? No, but it should be. <laughs> no, the only real tradition around booze that my family has is, uh, you know, sometimes my brother's home for Christmas Eve. Sometimes he's not, I usually am, uh, but work is work. So, you know, but, uh, the only real traditions we have around booze at the Strapple household is a couple of weeks before the new year. I'm so, whoa, before Christmas, my dad starts cooking up something that I like to call Polish juice. Polish juice. It is basically just vodka, and he puts a whole bunch of different stuff in there uh, to give it like a real good holiday flavor, makes it super smooth. And then on Christmas Eve, we sit around the uh, kitchen table, drink the entire bottle, get super wasted, and I always feel terrible on Christmas morning. I thought that was what you got when you like milked a Polish man. Well, that's I, I understand the confusion. It is confusing. Yeah, I understand the confusion because that can happen. And I've heard that like is it's something like six percent of guys can actually lactate. I don't know. I've I mean, good way to start the show. I got nipples. Steve, can you milk me? All right. That's it. All right. We're back. Uh, <laughs> Griffin is one of those six percent. We tried. It works. Um, but, but I will say I had that Polish juice. On New Year's, that yeah. stuff goes down smooth. That's dangerous. Yeah, we used to make it with Spiritus, which is 97% ABV. Uh, we got just – the problem is we got too drunk. So yeah. we, had to, we had to dial it back you to missed regular, Christmas. You missed Christmas. regular vodka. All of Christmas was a blur. And then you woke up on Boxing Day. Oh, I know. Classic American holiday. What's going on, man? How have you been? It's been a minute since we've recorded the Zone of Truth. This is the first time we're recording one that's going to actually come out within like a couple days of the recording. Usually we bank them ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good, man. Yeah. I, I had a great holiday. Um, speaking of going home to your roots, brought you a little something to you drink. sure did. This and, episode. And, and what is that, Griff? This is Conjoined Sins. It's a dark, sour, sweet and tart cherry flavored but it's from Levante Brewing. I've been shouting them out a lot. I really enjoy their beer. Rapidly becoming an HLP favorite. That yeah. place is fucking great. We visited there when we uh, visited your folks for the brew fest. We love them. But they did a collaboration. So this beer is a collaboration beer also with Imprint Brewing out of the same area. So around Philly. And in my opinion, it's pretty fucking phenomenal. You know what? We we both have about half this tall boy. Let's do a little toast and get this show started. All right. Cheers, bud. Cheers. Griff, what does that taste like? Because you had a very apt 
uh, description of this, the last one of these we drank. So to me, no, dark sour is very distinctly different than what you're going to get with your traditional sour beers. It's still going to be very sour, but it also has hints of that kind of maltiness that in this case, chocolatiness. Mm -hmm. And so this very much to me tastes like a liquid cherry Tootsie Roll. It does. It really does, folks. It really does. It's delicious. And uh, well, we're going to drink that. And then about six platform brewing hard seltzers that are just <laughs> just waiting here to be drank. Solid C pluses. Uh, but Griffin, on the regular show, we talked a little bit about New Year's resolutions. I have one for the zone of truth. Oh, yeah. I will never forget Sirenscape in the new year. Dude, that you're going to break that. You know, give me two weeks. If you could do it, weeks. if you could do it for all like through March, I would be very surprised. I will settle for through March. Through March, I'll consider that a win. If I don't have to remind you one time. And Griff, to celebrate me never forgetting Sirenscape again, at least through March, um, I'm gonna play a new Sirenscape sound set. How does that sound? <laughs> yeah, everything you've been playing has been getting old, buddy. It's true. You gotta really mix it up. So I uh, I actually got a new computer over the the winter break. I bought one for myself with the Black Friday deals. It does look nice. It's she's a pretty she's a pretty girl. But um, when I did that, I had to reinstall Sirenscape and re-download all the specific sound sets. And I did a real good hefty purge of shit I didn't use anymore. And um, I added a whole bunch of new stuff. So this one comes from BSB Blighted Tower. Um, I don't know what this is from because this is all like, you know, real world stuff. It has Pathfinder characters in the art, but this is accordion mood. Accordion, accordion mood. Yeah. I like this. I feel like the two of us are sitting down drinking a Levante beer next to the river that runs through Paris. I <laughs> see. I thought, I thought we were more like listening, listening to it while drinking Polish vodka. Ah, yes. we should have brought the Polish juice. It's just downstairs. We could go get it. We could go get it. <laughs> that would be dangerous. I will save that for drunken discordly tonight. Um, but yeah, so let's get back to the the matter at hand. We got a whole lot to talk about. So, um, you you said you had a, a good trip home. Yeah, I did. Haley came with me. It was a good time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, last zone of truth, we talked about our Christmas lists. Did you get everything you asked for? I did. I got the resin printer I asked for. Tell me everything about it, because you've been super hyped about this. I've seen some of the really cool results. Tell me some of the stuff you've been printing, man. Yeah, so I got, it's called the Epax X1. It's, if if you're looking at an entry-level resin printer, it's maybe like a tiny bit up from like the, everybody's heard of like the Photon and the um, Elegoo Mars. This, this one is a little, like, built solid metal that kind of thing so if you have a couple extra bucks to spend it's a good investment but i've been printing minis out the ass up since, a storm <laughs> since i got this ass. thing yeah because the detail is so insane and not to throw any shade on chris's stuff because he's been able to produce insane level of detail with his fdm printer but a resin printer just lends itself to that really tiny detail much better and so when with like so we're playing Fall of Plaguestone, I TPK'd you guys. So everybody needed a new character. I was like, perfect. I'll print everybody a new mini. And the minis just look crazy detailed. On top of that, you kinda need the resin printer to get enough detail and 
the least amount of blemishes possible to create masters to cast dice. Mm-hmm. And so I've maybe gone through like five different prints to try and hone in the settings just right to print some HLP dice. And Oof. they're they're looking pretty sick. The, the D20 is just about perfect. Having a little bit of issues with the D6, but I'm hoping it... Um, I get it cleaned up and it's and the rest of the dice are much easier to print than those two. And let's say I had one of these HLP resin dice and I rolled a natural 20 or a six on a D six. What would I see Griff? HLP baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> they're, they're really pretty. I think they've, they so far they've come out well. Um, I, I really like it. The minis are super crisp. I am playing a lizard folk in this upcoming uh, continuation of our full plague stone. And just like the detail of all the scales. The scales are sick. I love that it's like wild. your character is roaring and you get the individual teeth, which are maybe like the tip of a the tip of a toothpick size. Mm-hmm. And they all printed perfectly. It was sick. I was very surprised. So I, I think this is gonna be very cool. A little uh little bonus to add to our game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But uh, so I'm glad you got everything. I know you were concerned. I did get both of the TIE Fighters I asked for. Oh, thank God. Yep. Don't know when I'm going to build them yet. Probably when I'm super hungover. Maybe I'll start one tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We're doing Drunk and Discordly tonight, so I'm going to feel like trash tomorrow. And we've been drinking since uh, about 1130. Yeah. Well, that's usually what we do for a Drunk and Discordly Zone of Truth Wombo Combo Day. That's true. The best days. So, another holiday was upon us. It was New Year's. It was New Year's. It was New Year's, and we had a blast. What we do, Griff? We played a bunch of drinking games in my house. Yeah, we really didn't change up the formula <laughs> The formula's at all. the same. We well, just kind of dressed a little nicer. Dressed a little nicer, and we've been on this kick of watching shitty movies for a long time, so it was nice to kind of mix it up a little bit, play some games. I don't know what the name of the game Brooks and Emily brought was, but that was pretty funny. So we played a couple like cards against humanity adjacent games. We played one called Drinking with Frenemies. That's kind of been a classic one of ours. Yeah, that's a good one. A lot of fun. You just, you know, building rules on top of rules. Uh, the one they brought, um, it's something friends. I don't know. Dirty friends, sexy friends. It's it, it is something, it's something like, like that. that. Yeah. I think it's disturbed friends. Disturbed friends. I think yeah. it is. That may, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, but that was a blast. We were basically reading a whole bunch of like raunchy and dirty questions, and then everybody had to guess what best described that person. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. We got really drunk. We played some uh, some drinking Jenga. The little never have I ever twist. We played a little King's Cup. Um, I got really hammered. Is never have I ever even fun with us anymore? I mean, I feel like we've we we've been hanging out literally every weekend for the past like three or four years now, and we, and we don't know other people. So uh, the never have I ever gets so specifically so specific. targeted. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's I don't know that it's fun anymore. Do we enjoy that? Probably not. I think it's I just the fact that we get to drink. That's true. Never have I ever GM'd a podcast. Well, fuck me, then. <laughs> right, that's the level of questions you're getting. It's it like, is. It's all so hyper-specific. Well, it's great. It's great when, like, we get Chris and Eric and Tim and John mm-hmm. and stuff in in to play games like that because then they can just fuck the entire group because they're not, you know, on the show regularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's great. But uh, then we played a little three-man. Always a good time. Fun dice game. Three-man. 
get you super drunk super fast. Uh, but that was really our New Year's. I don't I don't know that there's a whole lot to report here. Took some pictures. You look Drank out of nice. my World's Okay GM mug. Yes. Enjoyed that. Yes, sure did. And uh, and that's really it. But, you know, otherwise, we've just been keeping on keeping on. We recorded episode 74 the other day. Uh, last night. All I'll say about that is, whoo! Yeah, get ready, folks. It's a barn burner. Um, but last night was a very special night for us. <laughs> find oh yeah it was special in a couple of ways it was very special so um here's the reveal guys i didn't have it written into the little outline that you got at the top of the show but i'm gonna surprise you all listening right now griffin and i are gonna review the theatrical production 2019's cats the movie because we went to go see it in theaters yeah oh boy <laughs> oh boy Oh boy! I I all right. So we got we got pretty lit and went to yeah, go see we, cats. We were pretty drunk in the theater. <laughs> we all got split up. I was next to a lady that was super serious about cats, and I just like I passed my flask and my drink over to Haley because she wasn't sitting next to the lady. I'm like, can you please fill these up? Uh, she's definitely gonna call the attendant if yep. she sees me doing this. It was it was insane. So it was myself, Brooks, you, Haley, and our buddy Chris. And uh, Brooks and I sat together. You and Haley sat together, and then Chris sat by himself. And uh, well, like somebody took his seat, and because we came in a little late, like we came in, at least me, Chris, and Haley. Everybody went to the bathroom, got drinks, and so we came in I, I right kinda, as the movie started. We were kind of late already because we had been pre-gaming super hard for this. Yeah. I told everybody, you better like really, really get at it. Um, we were getting after it. Yeah. So I uh, I had about three or four mixed drinks in an hour before we left, and then I had just a punishing water bottle of Fresca and gin. Uh, it was just like taking shots. There wasn't a whole lot of Fresca in there. I had uh, a six-ounce flask of uh, root beer whiskey, which I poured the entirety of into a root beer. <laughs> yep. I got, I got super lit, but let's talk about the movie itself. So... A lot of people are saying that it's the worst movie of 2019. Of course, we have to go see that in theaters. Um, I thought the crowd, every, basically everybody there, maybe with the exception of a couple folks, including the person sitting next to you, everyone was there just to like. Rag Eventually, on this she thing. started laughing at it. I think she wanted to take it seriously and didn't believe all the hype uh-huh. that it was going to be super bad. I could see it changed about when Idris Elba came on and did the meow teleport, the first one. Oh boy! So, so this movie is. What I have to assume, just a, a disaster of we need to make this Broadway musical on the big screen and we're going to dump all of our budget into getting really good actors, but, uh, you know, but, but, but not spending any money on anything else. So these people are trans, you know, transmutated into cats with human faces um, in, in, by CGI, like playstation 2 cgi at some point and well, i mean it was it was still pretty hot well right and we're getting to that okay good it was intense <laughs> shockingly erotic but it, it, it was bad it was really bad it was I, I i will say it was so bad it was good i had a riot oh yeah i was i was really trying not to bust up for the lady next to me the entire time I, and Haley would just look at me and die because i was like mm. <laughs> At one point, I left the theater to go take a leak, came back in, and Brooks and I were sitting in the back of the theater, and you guys were a little further up, and um, 
There were cockroach people dancing on screen being paraded by uh, Rebel Wilson. And uh, I gave I shot you and Haley a thumbs up and Haley wasn't even looking at me. The, the, the look on her face was just pure abject horror. Yeah, she really took that movie hard. Yeah. <laughs> she did not enjoy that. She was having a rough time. So, yeah, I mean... What, what are some of the standout bad performances? Standout bad performances? Oof. I gotta I got, I got throw throw a little shade at my boy, Sir Ian McKellen. Oh, that man. Was that's just sad. I, must, I said under my breath like five times, like, he was Gandalf. And this? Yeah, it's... This is how far he's fallen? A legitimate knight of the UK, and he's just just torn apart by CGI, and they just drag him out to do a half-assed dance number, and then he does some really weird cat character acting where he's, like, rubbing up against posts and lapping up water out of the Oh, out of the yeah, bowl. the lapping up water was, was pretty rough. egregious. That was really rough. I couldn't get over any time... Because they're dancing, right? Yeah. But anytime they would, like, fucking crawl away on their hands and knees, like, people crawl, and it was just, like, still painfully CGI'd as cats. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I get this on the on the Broadway musical, but this looks horrible. Like, everything is yeah. CGI'd, and you're just going to crawl away like a human. And it was, like, way painfully obvious to tell who was CGI and who was, who like, full CGI and who wasn't yeah. full CGI, because... Weirdly, like, some of the better dancers were just wearing shoes. Yeah. That was weird. Okay, so that that brings me to another point. Okay. It seemed very random and very sporadic that there were some cats that were allowed to wear clothing and others that did not. Mm -hmm. Like, some cats were in, like, a fur coat. Obviously, Mr. Mephistopheles was in his, like... Yep. His top hat and magician. Old Deuteronomy, big fur coat. Big fur coat. Cat wearing fur coat. Got a lot of questions about that. We'll move right past it. And those boys in the in the sneakers and mm-hmm. the railway cat with his mm. it, with his just overalls, just, over- just red overalls <laughs> yep. and conductor hat. Yep. But it's like there was no rhyme or reason for when they weren't fully naked or wearing clothes. And then like Rebel Wilson would unzip her entire fur Her and skin. skin yeah and and would be just again cgi cat underneath but with a with a fucking i don't know like glitter dance outfit on it would be if in real life i unzipped my skin like silence of the lamb style and then under that i was wearing clothes that had another layer of me skin under them it was a mind fuck it was insane that gave me the most saw moon isle vibes that yes. part because yeah. it was like oh like saw would rip his skin out like this and be fur underneath i mean to, to be fair this is saw the musical saw the musical yeah, yeah. that's why i thought you know that's why I thought you enjoyed it so much. I, I loved it. I had a great time. Um, uh, some other notable, terrible performances. Rebel Wilson, very bad. Jason Derulo, very bad. James Cordine, very bad. Um, Idris Elba, one of, maybe one of the best actors out there. I think everything he does... One of the worst performances. Yes, yeah, everything he does is is incredible. I love his voice. He's got a great physique. Like He, he sells every role. I mean, he's the bad guy in Hobbs and Shaw saying absurd lines and selling it. And in this movie... He was just chewing up the scenery so hard. It was painful to watch. I felt so bad for him because he's so good. What was the name of his henchman? Something Tiger? Oh, fuck. Uh, the, do you mean the 
the boat, the barge yeah, cat? the barge cat. I couldn't tell you that. I have no <laughs> it's, clue. It was like a... <laughs> It was something super edgy, like Slash Tiger yeah, or something. Yeah, it, it, it was bad. I have no idea. Um, I only remember a few names, no, no, notably uh, Mongo Jerry and Rumple Teaser. They were great. Who would name their cat Rumple Teaser? Uh, so I got to be honest, going into this movie, like I've never seen Cats the Musical. I have on uh, on VHS, and it terrified me as a child. So I've, I've never. Seeing the musical, I know it was on Broadway for a really long time, but just the pace, like, it it very much felt like there's no story there, and it just felt like we just kept getting introduced to new cats that were going to be up for the Jellico choice, which the fucking Jellico, like, you don't know what a Jellico is going in, and it's like, they never explain what a Jellico cat is. Except in, when they're in like, your own words are, are black and white. In your own words, Griffin, can you explain either what a Jellicle cat is or the plot of the movie? You're asking me to do two <laughs> impossible things. <laughs> apparently, and we learned this after the movie, apparently a Jellicle cat was a fictitious breed of cat that was uh, written about around the time that Cats the Musical was written. It was some kind of idealistic, like, city cat or something. So, the, you know... But, like, who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows, yeah. Like, and if you want your musical to last, to withstand the test of time, don't base eight of the songs on a reference to something that was written the same year as fucking Cats. Like, the people that went to the theater, went to see this musical when it first came out, I'm sure were like, yes, that's amazing. Like, I get what a Jellicle cat is. This is, yeah, got it. And now, 80 years later, which I think it is, I think I think the musical was written in, like, 1940. I don't know. Maybe. So, like, 80 years later, it's like, nobody fucking knows what a Jelko cat is. Why are, Why doesn't the, the picture try and, like, I know you want to stick to the source material. Explain this really fast to me. Yeah, hit me with, like... A line of exposition that's not buried in a song that I'm gonna miss. Fuck, give me a, give me a, like preamble. Give me the Star Wars role. Yeah, I just want to see, like, a title crawl. In the in the in the year 1940, <laughs> Jellicoe cats were the kind of cats that were white and small. They pantered or they pranced around, not big or tall. They, you could right, do that right, whole right. song now, at the top. Now that song should have yeah. been at the top because that song at least gave you a physical descriptor of a Jellicoe cat. Which then made you even more confused because none of the cats match that descriptor besides Mr. Mephistopheles. That is true. And also, the first song was asking the main character, who's like a, a cat that gets abandoned, uh, thrown out of a car, uh, if she is a Jellicle cat. But I don't know what a Jellicle cat is. She apparently does. I thought she was, yeah, she was as confused as us. And I, at one point... Uh, about five minutes into the movie, Brooks turns to me and just says, what the fuck is a Jellicle cat? I, I couldn't even understand what they were saying. Yeah. And, and here's a, here's a, here's a reveal for the people at home. This is the second time I've seen it in theaters. Yeah. He like begged us to go see it. I didn't He's, beg. I told okay, you you'd have fun. Yeah. We did have fun. We it was fun. just like, it was just nuts. Like I, 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 I really do think this truly belongs in the pantheon of so good they're bad movies um maybe not quite as entertaining as like the room but definitely up there with like birdemic and oh, some this of those will other get flicks a cult yeah. following i mean we sat in the theater 
it was full. And it I was, mean, it was full. a small, small it's theater, a small theater but, but it was a full, yeah. full theater. Granted, it's like those fucking armchair recliners, so there couldn't have been more than like 30 people in there. But That's true. But those 30 people were having a great time. Dude, everyone in the theater was laughing at some point. Oh, even yeah. the people that were trying to take it seriously and just see Cass. Even the lady next to me started snickering to her husband about something that was happening. Yeah. Um, with about 10 minutes left in the movie, I got desperate because I, I just plowed through my alcohol and leaned over to Brooks and said, please, can I have some of your booze? And he said, I also have finished my alcohol. Yeah, I finished my alcohol with about 20 minutes left and then had a major... I was, I was holding it because I was like, something bonkers is going to fucking happen in this. And then, and then we started singing memories all alone in the and I was like, all right, fuck, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to go pee. <laughs> so I went and came back for the, for the finale song where it's like, which is insane. Uh, don't address a cat as a dog. Like the plot wraps up with 10 minutes left. It's done. Yeah. And then, and then they sacrifice, the Jellicle cat, the Jellicle choice. Yes. Glamour cat or whatever she was. Don't understand why they did that. But the very last musical number, five, ten minutes left in the movie, we're, uh, just out of nowhere, breaks the fourth wall. Judy Dench looks, looks and sounds terrible, by the way, uh, staring directly down the barrel of the camera to the, to the viewing audience and just telling you how to address cats in a song. That, that was that was rough. That last song made me want to come home and send my cats to the pound. I think that's what, what I think that's the first thing Chris said as he got out of the theater. He says, "I'm getting rid of my cats." I'm getting rid of my cats. You're right. I only want dogs. <laughs> After that movie, I only want dogs. Well, we can't we can't we can't dwell on this too long. I had a blast. You know, because this is only coming out in a couple days, cats will still be in theaters. I think if you really like so good Oh, Jesus. So bad they're good. So bad they're good movies. Folks, go see it. It's a fucking riot. Definitely it's a lot bring, of fun. Bring booze or get really high before you go see it, though, because... Yeah, like, get really drunk or, or fucked yeah, up in some way. Yeah, get a little messed up, because it's a trip, and I would not want to go through that sober. No. But, as we do in... Un, I Some would say unnecessarily in all things like this. Griffin, we gotta rate it. Oh yeah, what's the rating scale, bud? Um, I think I'm gonna go pretty easy on this one. So, cats have nine lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna get. We're gonna rate it three different ways. Okay, one to nine lives. Then, uh, would you make the Jellical choice on this movie? Okay, and then also, if this is more of a uh, Mungo Jerry or Rumple teaser. I don't know what the spectrum is of that, so I'll, I'll pick just based off of well, what I the, feel. The spectrum makes as much sense as the movie. <laughs> the movie yeah. So go ahead. Is a one to nine, how would you rate this? Uh, I'm going to give this... I'll give this a six lives. I, okay. I think it's I think it's above average in terms of entertainment value. Um, just as long as you're going into it, like not like the lady next to me hoping to see a rendition of Cats that... Like just the fucking special effects and the the fucking choices they made were so bonkers that it, it was a it was a fun watch. Like I enjoyed yeah. watching it because I was laughing at at how absurd it was. Um, I would make the Jellico choice on watching this movie only if I'm drunk or mm-hmm. high or whatever, because uh, I don't I don't think I could watch this one sober in good faith. This would be rough. Yeah. Um. I'm going to go with a uh, 
rumple teaser because yeah. um, if you drink during this movie, you're going to have to go to the bathroom before the end of it because you're going to drink that much. So it's going to tease your rumple. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm pretty in line with you. I'm going to also give this a rumple teaser, um, but mostly because that name sounds uh, hypersexualized and this is a very erotic experience. Yeah, I want to know who's like, yes, this is a great name for my cat, rumple teaser. <laughs> yep. Uh, didn't mention that Taylor Swift's in this. Sings a good song. Like sings a good song. She's just great. isn't in enough of the movie. Uh, weirdly, has huge cat breasts. Oh God! Um, Did, we didn't talk about how thick all of the cats were. Very thick. Very thick cats. Yeah. And then like, I almost, mean, it's hard not to be attracted to those cats. But almost like negative genitalia. Like well, yeah, almost I mean, like they, digitally removed. Yeah, I was expecting weirdly. to see at least Idris Elba have a bulge. You're right. Yeah. And there was no bulge there. Well, mainly because he was wearing like weird jackets for most of it. But still. But still. I don't, I don't understand where it went, so I would definitely give this a rumple teaser. Um, I would make the Jellicle choice on this movie, and uh, 9 out of 9. Uh, all right, <laughs> what's that? Nine, God damn it. 9 out of 9, great times. Um, but after we finished that movie, we came back here just blasting Cats show tunes, and we watched Tucker and Dale. Fourth, fourth try. I made it. I don't think it's a fourth try. You it's say a it's a fourth try. try. I think there's a couple you don't remember in there. It could be, but I remember the last time I tried, I made a big deal about it being third time the charm, and then we got White Castle and I fell asleep immediately. Fair. We might have tried to do it before we were even doing this show, though, I think. You might be right about it. It might be the third time since we've been doing Zone of Truth or Hideous Laughter in general. Yes, this is the definitely the fourth time since the show. But I feel yeah, you might be right. I'm pretty this, sure we might have done, done it a before. couple of times before. And because it's like it's usually like Oh, we're not doing a fire pit? All right, let's watch fucking Tucker and Dale. <laughs> well, I made it. Um, I will give uh, Tucker and Dale uh, seven out of nine lives. I would also make the Jellicle choice on this movie. And I would. it's probably a little bit more Mungo Jerry than it is Rumble Teaser. I don't know why we're judging it by the cat scale. <laughs> this is the hole we've dug for ourselves. No, I'm going to judge it by how much of my body's in the wood chipper. Mm. Um, and and if, if most of my body's in, that's a good score. So I'm going to say uh, Tucker and Dale is one of my favorite movies ever. So I'm like down to the soles of my shoes. Okay. So definitely beyond a rumple teaser. Well, again, that's not the like that's the that's the comparison to the nine lives scale. All right, it's my favorite monster time. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> all right, guys. Well, now that you're all caught up on what we've been doing in our free time, we're gonna move on to our next segment. This is my favorite monster. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. And like I said at the beginning, we are going with a classic monster. This this one comes from D and D before Pathfinder even existed. This is the Vargul. So, Griff, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about Pathfinder mechanics, how it fits in the Pathfinder world, or real world stuff? Well, why I'm don't ready for, I, I'm ready for whatever. Why don't I give the Pathfinder um, kind of description of what our Vargoa is, and then we can go into kind of its etymology in the in real folklore or whatever, and then I'll I'll come back and hit us with the. With the stats, and with the stats of the ones that I used against you guys. I love that. Let's go, man. So, and again, I think they're called Varguis. I think that's French. I'm not positive. 
I don't think either of us are confident enough no, to, it, it to use that pronunciation. Enough. A vargoyle is larger than a human head, typically between 12 and 20 inches high, with a 15 to 35 inch long wingspan. Vargoyles are not natives to the material plane, but can often be found there nevertheless, occupying graveyards, ancient battlefields, or anywhere one can find remnants of death and decay. These hideous monsters come from fiendish outer plains, where they flop and flap through strange and haunted skies in constant search of fresh souls to torment. In these nightmare realms, Vargoyles play a role similar to that of a raven or vulture, although they augment these roles with a malevolent delight in causing pain and anguish that no scavenger bird could ever hope to match. They attack by swooping on their opponents, shrieking them into par- paralysis, then biting them with a rows of razor-sharp teeth. When multiple Vargoyles take up a common cause and fight as allies, they overwhelm their victim with bites and shrieks, tearing it to shreds. That's a Vargoyle. That's a Vargoyle. I feel like these are usually thrown at a little lower level party. Usually, yeah. Everything that I've heard, people playing it, the stuff I read on the internet, hell, our adventure against them, pretty tough. Tough stuff. From what I've heard, they've killed a lot of people in Rise of the Rune Lords. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, you're going to fight them in book one. Yeah. I think I actually did a little little homework on that as well. I hopped on Reddit and were, was looking at what people had been saying about their Rune Lords game with the Vargul. And yeah, that's a pretty consistent thing that, you know, one or more players might get the kiss, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, a lot of people were kind of confused and looking for the looking to the Internet for help. Like, hey, I'm a GM playing Rune Lords. My I've got a player that was kissed. I don't think Sandpoint can help get them cured with yeah, the item I mean, level and stuff. Yeah, Sandpoint can't. Yeah, so, oh, and, and then a lot of people were responding on that thread saying, yeah, um, it can't. And uh, I also had the same problem, and my characters all had to kill one of their friends. It's rough. <laughs> it is rough. But this, this creature, uh, again, like the rest of the monsters that we featured on this segment, is uh, based in actual folklore. And I was really excited about this because uh, little did I know before we started looking this up that this comes from Southeastern Asian folklore. And I don't think we've done a Southeastern Asian uh, uh, folklore no, thing. Like, no, it, I mean, most stuff is European folklore that's your traditional like fantasy setting. Yeah, and, it, and especially with the Carrion Crown focus on Gothic horror, which is yeah, very, very rooted yeah. in, in European history. Uh, to kind of step outside that a little bit was super interesting. Um, I believe, and basically what I've what I've kind of pieced together is that the Vargul isn't named the Vargul in our world. It's actually based on a Malaysian um, creature or mythical creature called the. I'm going to try this, Panagalan. I think that's pretty close. Panangalan. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's just how I'm reading it. Yes. A lot of people in Malaysia actually sound like they're from Chicago, so they really hit those A's hard. <laughs> Pan and Galen. The Pan and Galen, um, which actually translates to detach or remove, much like the head removes itself from the body. Um, it's it, very similar to a vampire, um, but basically, you know, it's usually a female head that's attached to a body that walks around during the day. And then at night, the head detaches and it actually trails all of the organs that are attached to the head. So your heart, your lungs, your stomach, 
all mm-hmm. dangle below the head as it flaps around and tries to attack people. Really gross. I uh, I actually included a picture of this in our show notes for, for Griffin here. It's very small because we don't have a whole lot of space, but if you blow it up... Uh, it's gross. It's really gross, yeah. yes. Um, I was I was intrigued by this by this creature. It um, it usually goes after pregnant women and young children, and what what people who believe in the Panagalan do is they line their windows with thorns or broken glass, so that as it tries to fly in, its organs catch on the thorns uh, and yeah. glass. Um, it's kind of terrifying. People will normally do that when there's a pregnant woman about to give birth right before that they line their windows and they're good to go. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's kind of gross. So, uh, continuing on here, uh, a Panagallon actually isn't undead. Like you might suspect like a vampire would be. And neither is a Vargoil. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a witch that developed the ability to take this kind of form through meditating in a bat, a vat of vinegar, which is weirdly specific. Yeah, I mean, can anybody do that? Just give I me probably, a vat of vinegar. I probably could. You never know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, during the night, the head detaches, goes flies away, terrorizes people. Um, and there were some really interesting ways. Like a lot of these creatures, a lot of creatures like this. You know, think of your your traditional vampire stake through the heart, garlic. Yep. Sunlight, that kind of stuff. There are foils to the Panagalon, and uh, they're actually kind of great. So, um, one of them is that people could go out and search for the body of the Panagalon during the night as the head's flying away, and they'll fill in, they would fill in the neck cavity with like broken glass and stuff. So, so kind of like the windows? Kind of like the windows, yeah. But it's, uh, this time, when the head retaches itself, all its organs get ground up. Really gross. <laughs> um, Brutal. Additionally, and this one is actually hilarious. Instead of doing something like that, folks who would find a body, and of course this is all folklore. Like, If you find a body and you don't have broken glass, what do you do? You turn the body over. <laughs> so it attaches to its ass? No, no, it's... No. So it, it it attaches backwards, and when the creature gets up during the day and starts walking around, it doesn't realize that the head's on backwards. Oh, okay. I, like, was, I was thinking it attached to his butthole, and then it... No. Instead yeah, of its neck hole. You still have the weird, perverse sexual stuff from cats on the brain. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of like C-3PO at the end of uh, Empire Strikes Back, just kind of walking around head backwards. Head backwards, okay. Yep. Um, and that reveals to everybody who this is. So, again, in my research, um, I went for pop culture stuff. Not a whole lot of pop culture stuff with the Panagaon or the Varghul in general besides um, tabletop role-playing games. But I did find a trailer for a Malaysian move, like horror movie that is based on this, and it looks fabulous. came out a few years ago. Not in English. I don't think there's subtitles. But if it ever gets dubbed or subbed... I will watch that in a heartbeat. It looks great. <laughs> it's such a it's such a creepy specific monster to make a movie about. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it. I'd like to see the effects they use to get the fucking flying head with all the organs dangling around. Oh, I probably love that. looks pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked good. It looked like a lot of fun. Um, but that's kind of it, you know. Um, 
I uh, did a little homework. Not a whole ton of it out there because, you know, we don't have a whole lot of exposure to Southeastern Asian folklore and mythology and stuff. But what I was able to find was absolutely fascinating. And I loved kind of diving into this weird corner of uh, creepy, beastie uh, mythology that I really had no exposure to before. So in terms of what you guys faced then, you noticed that the Gurions were all missing their heads. So the Gurions at some point were turned into Vargoyles, and their heads were a variant of the Vargoyle, a giant Vargoyle. So instead okay. of being a human head, like a little larger than a human head, they were a little larger than a Gurion head, so they were pretty beefy. They're actually medium-sized. So the Vargoyle, the the important thing about Vargoyles is this tactic, this tactic to shriek, to paralyze, and then paralysis causing helplessness. They infect others with their curse or their disease. So the Vargoyle's shriek, or shriek, instead of biting a Vargoyle, can open its distended mouth to shriek. Those within 60 feet, except other Vargoyles who hear the shriek and can clearly see the creature, must succeed at a DC 14 fortitude save or be paralyzed for 2d4 rounds or until the monster attacks them, goes out of range, or leaves their sight. So you guys did get attacked and came out of the paralysis. A creature that successfully saves can't be affected by the same Vargoyle shriek for 24 hours. So you guys, I think, succeeded against one and then both failed against another. Um, they do have a poison, so they bite. Their poison is a four, DC 14 fortitude save. Uh, damage caused by the bite can only be healed with magic if the spellcaster succeeds on a DC 20 caster level check. So if the bite deals 10 points of damage, you're always down 10 points of damage unless somebody that heals you succeeds at that caster level check. Oof, all right. Interesting. Finally, the kiss. A Vargoyle can kiss a helpless target by making a successful melee touch attack. A kissed opponent must succeed on a DC 18 fortitude save or begin a terrible transformation that changes the creature into a Vargoyle within 24 hours and often much sooner. Roll 1d4 separately for each phase of the transformation. First over a period of 1d6 hours, or sorry, roll 1d6 separately. First over a period of 1d6 hours, all the victim's hair falls out. Within another 1d6 hours, the ears grow into leathery wings and tentacles sprout on the chin and scalp, and the teeth become long, pointed fangs. During the next 1d6 hours, the victim takes intelligence drain and charisma drain equal to one point per hour to a minimum of three. The transformation is complete 1d6 hours thereafter when the victim's head breaks free of the body, which promptly dies, and the head becomes a vargoyle. This transformation's progress is paused by sunlight or any light spell of third level or higher, but stopping the transformation requires removed disease or similar effect. It's a disease effect, and yeah, that's that's what happened to you guys. Even with your yeah. uh, even with your hero card, you got it up to a seventeen. Oof, close, but no cigar. Yeah. It was yeah, that was a rough one. Um, I think we've gotten a lot of good feedback on. Um, on episode 72 specifically with us dealing with the ramifications of yeah. this. But um, I like that this is a relatively low CR creature that 
you know, for all intents and purposes, Ikmer and Matumbe by themselves would kind of wipe the floor with if it weren't for that kiss. Yep. If you guys hadn't failed your save on the paralysis, there's not really much these things can do to you. I don't think yep. they can really hit Ikmer. I mean, they're rolling at a plus five bite, so natural 20. Right. Even, yeah, almost impossible to get Ikmer and then pretty hard to get Matumbe too. Yeah. He's got a fairly beefy AC. Um, so, like, a, a low CR creature that just has, like, campaign-changing ramifications. Yeah, I mean, the giant ones are more difficult than the regular ones, but they're mm-hmm. still only CR3. Regular Vargoil is a CR2. Yeah. So so we, we had three of them. Mm-hmm. What does that bring the CR up to? Oh, uh, like CR was not, yeah, maybe, not even. Maybe. It was like a, I'd call it like a CR4. Yeah. Yeah, not bad, but I... I also think paired up with the uh, leech fight, I think it made for a little bit more interesting radio. Like, what are we going to do against the leech fight? Like, right, thing. right. So we had our own little thing going on. It was pretty interesting, and I kind of like how it played out. Didn't die. Didn't die. Yeah. Came pretty close, both of you. Mm-hmm. Rolled some pretty low rolls on those D6s. Oof, yeah. No kidding. Very close. But Anything else, man? For the Vargoil, no, yeah. not really. I mean, uh, it would have definitely been a very interesting situation if one of you hadn't made it. I and guess that, that's that's a that's a good thought experiment. Like, what if one person doesn't make it and then has to fight their friend as a flying head or just flies away to terrorize somebody else? Or conversely, what if both of us don't make it? And then Lyra and Eclipse are just up Shit's Creek waiting for us to come back. And we never, never hear from them again. Yeah. Yeah. We took all their money in this staff of swarming. Mm -hmm. That would have been really bad. You're dead on the road somewhere. Yeah. Your bodies are at least. Oh, God. That'd be rough. Yeah. It'd be bad times. But then. I mean, it'd be be interesting radio. It would be interesting. (laughs) And then Brooks and I could come back with brand new characters and we'll have a lot of fun and. Who knows? It would have been interesting, but I'm glad things worked out the way they did. Yep. Yeah. Very close. We got to see some old friends. <laughs> what more could you ask for? Got to see more Wiener. You know how it is. <laughs> I'm back. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up our My Favorite Monster. Um, giving a little love to a classic D&D creature. I thought this was worth it. I thought I thought uh, this was fun. And I, I had a lot of I had a lot of fun doing research on this one because it was so different. And it wasn't what I expected. I'm glad there was stuff. I'm I'm surprised. I've never like looked that up. A lot of monsters are unique creations to tabletop mm-hmm. role playing. Yeah. Well, that's what we got. Anyway, let's do some listener questions. How does that sound? Sounds good to me, man. Cool. So the first one comes from Commodore. He's calling out me directly at Verasma Saves. That is my handle on our Discord server. Your lady is the patron of birth as well as death. When are you going to properly play up the other side? Griffin needs to give you opportunities to properly practice your midwifery. So, what I will say is the Bones Land in a Spiral, the book that Matsumbe uses, um, canonically has a lot to say on the that topic. There's a lot in there. Will I ever play it up? No. <laughs> well, it's interesting because... If you read any of like the Pathfinder Tales novels and that kind of thing, and just the lore in general, a, because Phrasma deals with these kind of the the entire cycle of life 
most of her worshippers don't aren't jack of all trades like midwife and uh, priest, and you know they're not burying people. They tend to special specialize mm-hmm. on, on these things, and when you read that kind of stuff, a lot of her priests and priestesses are specialized in one aspect of phrasma, not the whole spectrum. And so canonically, it makes sense that Matumbe is more worried about, you know, protecting grave sites and putting people to rest and that kind of thing, putting the undead to rest. That's something that an inquisitor would do. Yeah, I, I think it makes a whole lot more sense. It definitely fits into the campaign better. That being said, if an opportunity came up for me to flex those muscles, I wouldn't be against it. I think it would be fun to kind of explore, but uh, it doesn't really fit in with my character so much. But if you think about what an Inquisitor is in general, too, yes. like there's not an Inquisitor that's going to go around and fucking be a midwife. That's like, not what an Inquisitor does. They, you, they're the more militant side of the of the religion. Well, they're going to bane the child out of that birth canal. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a Pathfinder C-section. Yep. <laughs> Add that extra plus 2d6. <laughs> oh, boy. Dear God. All right. Our next question comes from our friend Tilda. Question. Have you read any gothic horror literature, both classic or anything more modern, or have you considered reading something now while playing Carrion Crown? Um, I haven't read a whole lot of, of gothic literature. It's not really my my flavor of horror. That being said, I still appreciate it all. Um, it doesn't quite get in the this, the, the gothic horror uh vain but i have read a lot of hp lovecraft in the last couple years um just because it's kind of interesting and weird and different um but i know that's not the case for the rest of the folks i play with so griff take it away here yeah i definitely read gothic horror Mm -hmm. um obviously like the dracula um the frankenstein dr jackal mr hyde those are kind of the the classics. Some of the classic yeah. stuff that um, that is that gothic horror vein. I'm actually kind of curious what's meant by the more modern gothic horror. Yeah, I'd be interesting to see uh, see some suggestions there. I mean, if it's just like the themes, like the vampire theme or the... Because a lot of gothic horror share the same kind of mm-hmm. mythos of monsters. If you think about it, like, you know, vampires are always very gothic horror werewolves kind of fit in there uh you have your you have your kind of like surgeons like we're seeing in in book two where they're like experimenting with life and death and the you know the human condition that's Mm -hmm. still fits in that gothic horror vein but in terms of modern interpretations of that i don't think modern works really give you that gothic flavor as much but maybe that's just what I've read. Ooh. Now that I think about it, strong disagree with you. When I was a kid, I read the official novelization of the movie Underworld Evolution. See, that's not gothic. Very there's, gothic. There's, there's vampires and werewolves, okay. man. Like, I guess, I guess that's gothic, <laughs> but like then they take the technology to another degree. And then is that really like... No, it's not. It's not at all. But those are great movies. Um, I know... 
Emily also has been diving really heavy into the like Lovecraftian mythos too. I've, so she has been doing this. I've read the ones that are touched on in Carrying Crown. Yeah, that's those are the only ones I've read. I've never really been that interested in H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. I don't like that kind of horror. I don't like horror that can't be described. I like to be able to describe. I get that. Yeah. And so when it's like a color out of space or something, <laughs> like how are you ever going to describe a color that nobody's ever seen? Yeah, there's a there's a couple things, yeah, that seem a little bit like literary crutches, where it's just well, like, no, it's, oh, it, you can't even describe it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's so horrific, it's beyond interpretation. I like the H.P. Lovecraft where it's like slowly revealed that something's off, like um, like shatters over in's mouth. Right, and and the one we talked about not all that long ago on. Uh, oh, the one with the worms, or, yeah, the, the worm that walks. Yeah, something. Yeah. The, that's the kind of H.P. Lovecraft I really, really like. Yeah, but the the kind of stuff, and, and a lot of the stuff he does is very slow burn. But then it just feels like at the very end of it, it's somebody you know goes insane because of the realization of something, and mm-hmm. it feels like he keeps repeating that, or like the color out of space leeches the life out of everything around it. Yeah. So those aren't my jam as much but yeah I think you know suggest some recent gothic horror stuff to me I'll have to look into it I mean realistically I read a lot of Stephen King stuff and most Mm -hmm. of his stuff is like a modern take on anything so something like Salem's Lot is very vampire focused and I love that that movie I haven't read the book but the movie was fun the book's amazing but I don't know if you consider that gothic horror it's not really in the gothic time period gothic setting and the really only gothic thing about it is the vampires that are, right. you know, taking over a town. Mm-hmm. Needful things to shop. Yeah. I get it, man. We still need to have that zone of truth where we just talk about Stephen King for an hour and a half. That'd be easy. I could fill that hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have to say a damn word. <laughs> Shit, I don't even have to show up. All right. Um, I always kind of like to end these with a fun question, and I do think this is a very fun one. So the final question we're going to address tonight comes from our buddy Alex Giordano. What serial mascot do you think would make the deadliest villain in a campaign? Oh boy, that's a good one. <laughs> so here's how I want to how, how I want to open this up. As I'm sure everybody listening knows, there are several Halloween-themed General Mills cereals. Well, yeah, you've got. I'm going to list them off here. You got Count Chocula. Frankenberry, Booberry, Fruit Brute, and Yummy Mummy. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. So I don't know. Uh, maybe Count Chocula. I think Count Chocula is probably the most powerful of that group. I think so, yeah. What, what did you have in mind? Um, in terms of a terrifying villain, I hearken back to what in the mid, in the folklore sense, a leprechaun is. Okay, and, okay. And in the folklore sense, it's more than just like a mischievous little sprite. Like in some writings, it's a very malevolent thing. And so I think Lucky of the Lucky Charms would be a great one. I mean, if you watch the leprechaun movies, that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. an enemy with that amount of magic is dangerous as hell. Yeah. Uh, reading the question quite literally, looking for the deadliest villain. Um, 
I'm very partial to uh, tigers and Tony the Tiger. He's a tough boy. He could rip it up. Oh, you think he? Yeah. You I know, mean, you know, maybe maybe he's not the the big bad guy of the campaign, but he maybe is like a very bad guy who's doing a lot of bad things, killing people. <laughs> he could tear it up. Is today going to be a great day. Sure is, buddy. <laughs> yeah, this one's this one's hard because I'm just trying to think of like what do you got? Every... You got Toucan Sam. What the fuck's he? Got? Yeah, Toucan yeah. Sam. Uh, Captain Crunch. Which might be the most deadly cereal because of what it does to the roof of your mouth. Yeah. And uh, just watch out for that oops all berries. Oops all berries. Oops. <laughs> Captain Crunch oops all berries. Uh, very deadly. <laughs> very deadly. Very deadly. I mean, the Trix Rabbit is up there. I thought about Trix Rabbit for a long like time. The Trix Rabbit yeah. is... I mean, that's kind of like getting into territory, much like the Cookie Crisp Wolf, Right. Where, oh, that's a good one. Where yeah. like they're both kind of wily coyote characters, and if you if you took the implications of like a wily coyote into a Pathfinder game, that would be a character that it's almost like D and D released like the Artificer class. It's similar to that vein, where like they just have like a, a gadget or something for every situation, and it's I think that could be pretty deadly. I mean. Wily Coyote's ridden in on like a fucking missile before. Yeah. Now, now, what are your thoughts on Snap, Crackle, and Pop? Oh boy, that's a that's a threesome waiting to happen. All right. I don't think they're particularly dangerous. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think so either. If we're going for dangerous trios, I'd I'd, I'd be more worried about the. Um, the Looney Tunes or whatever they were. The um, why can't I remember what they were? They they lived in the WB Tower. Uh, I have no idea. Somebody will, somebody will tell us. Yeah, somebody's furious right now listening <laughs> to this. Um, Griffin, I want to I want to pose one at you. I was googling this while you while I distracted you with the uh, uh, raw eroticism of Snap Crackle and Pop. Um, have you ever seen the mascot for Honeycomb? The bee? No. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, oh, I'm, no, I'm thinking Honey Nut Cheerios. Yep. Yep. The bee. So I have pulled up the mascot for Honeycomb. Oh yeah, he's that alien thing, isn't he? And I'm gonna turn my screen and show you. Fuck yeah, that's uh, that thing is terrifying. Oh man, this psychotic ball of fur with. A face and legs and hands. I I don't like it. I don't like looking at it. I remember him being like super energetic. Um, maybe the one I'd want to encounter in the real world the least. Yeah, I really don't want to see that in real life. Yeah, I'm trying to think what Kashi's mascot is. Is it just like a middle aged man, maybe with a gun? What? Kashi's? I mean, Kashi doesn't actually have a mascot. What right? the hell is Kashi's? You never had Kashi? No. It's like shit cardboard cereal. Spell that. It's supposed to be healthy cereal. K-A-S-H-I, I think. But in that same vein, does... Oh, just, God. Yeah, this is the most generic cereal box I've seen in my life. It's bland as hell. I think it'd be I think it'd be a middle-aged man with a gun, which basically makes him a level two gunslinger. I guess. It should be deadly. Yeah. I don't think Cheerios has a mascot. Like, this, the offshoots of Cheerios, like Honey Nut Cheerios does, but I don't think regular Cheerios has a mascot. Yeah, I don't think so. 
I think uh, there's also something to be said for the barbarians of uh, Fruity Pebbles, the Flintstones. <laughs> the Flintstones. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. No, they're not more deadly than the fucking leprechaun. He's magic. No, they're not more deadly yeah. than the leprechaun. I'm trying to think of one that's more dead. I mean, Count Chocula's up there. I Count Chocula's so. a fucking vampire. Yeah. Like, like, and Booberry, like the, a the ghost. Incorporeal undead. Yeah, incorporeal undead. Intelligent incorporeal undead. That's I, I, terrifying. I don't, I don't think you should overlook Yummy Mummy either. Like, well, that no, mummy template. Is, yeah, that mummy template is nothing to joke about. You guys saw what a mummy can yeah. do. I mean, that shit's. Yeah. I mean, even. Even Frankenberry, like he built around it, yeah. Like Frankenberry, I'll Fle- tell you right now, flesh golem berry. The beast is like CR twelve. <laughs> Jesus, like and and you guys fought that blind flesh golem, and that was still pretty beefy. That's tough. Like yeah. Frankenberry is pretty deadly. Yeah, that that whole suite. I mean, because they're monsters, I think is. I, I don't know what the other one was. The berry, the berry brute, or uh, the fruit brute, fruit brute. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I don't think is that the red one. I it it is. Fruit Brute. Now I want. Maybe he's like a. Maybe he's a Doctor Jackal, Mister Hyde type character. As we've been doing this, I've just been googling all these cereals, so it's gonna like fuck up my ads for the next <laughs> month. You're gonna be buying some Fruit Brute. Oh yeah, Fruit Brute kind of looks like a werewolf a little bit. I don't know why he's a brute. You see oh, that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if he's a, it's just a rhyme. But if he's a werewolf, yeah, I think I think that group is equally powerful. I think. Oh boy. I think I have an answer for the deadliest. Uh-oh. WWE's Bootios. Oh, boy. No way. Is this real? Bootios. Bootios. It's just a bunch of people, like weightlifter-looking dudes crushing food. I don't know if this is real or not. If it is, yeah, my answer is Bootios. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going to go for, with Lucky from Lucky Charms with a honorable mention to the um, to the scary cereals. Yeah, but if uh, if you guys at home have an answer to this question, uh, Deadliest Mascot, go ahead and uh, add us and hashtag, I don't know, what do you, what do you think? Bootio? Bootio? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Uh, hashtag Deadly Booty. Deadly booty. Uh, spelled exactly how you'd think. So, I think that's about it, Griff. How are we doing on time? We're doing fine on time. Pretty right. good. Yeah, I, I I think that probably about does it. So, you know what? Maybe we should go see Cats again. Do you want to see it a third time? I might. <laughs> Be fun. I know the furry vibes were strong coming out of you, Steve. But <laughs> you just keep getting stronger but day by day. Uh... Yeah, we got to wrap this episode up. So, uh, okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, y'all survived your will saves. See you next time. Griffin, what do you want to tell these people? Fish drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.